Well, today we are going to start a new series, as I said, called You Asked For It. And this is simply uh, questions and topics that were submitted by the church family here at Loami Christian Church. And um, I'm going to try to answer these as best I can. Now, some answers, or some of the questions have short, simple answers. Some have long, complex, theologically rich answers. Um, Some questions you can kind of answer, wrap it up with a nice, neat little bow, and know that this is what the Bible says about it. Other questions you asked, it's like, well, maybe it's this, or maybe it's this. It can be kind of vague. The Bible doesn't give us all of the answers. I kind of look at it as when you read the Bible, there's pieces and hints of certain things all over the place, but not always enough to put together a full picture of certain topics and certain ideas. Uh, The way I like to say it is God doesn't give us everything, just everything we need. And so not all our questions get answered, and that's okay. And we just have to kind of trust God in the gaps, so to speak. Now, I do want to say one thing before I get into answering questions. The one thing I don't want to do by uh, putting out this sermon series idea where you guys submit questions and I'll answer them is not that um, you have to submit questions to somebody who's much more spiritual and more knowledgeable in certain areas than you and, and that I'm some sort of super spiritual individual and the only way that regular people can get answers to Bible questions is by asking someone like myself. I don't think that is the case at all. Um, I don't have most of these answers readily stored in my brain all the time. If you were to ask me any of these questions on the spot, most of the time I'd probably go, uh, that's a good one. Let me look into that. Before I get up here, I will have researched and studied to answer these. So uh, these aren't things I just know off the top of my head. Um, but I think if there is any reason why I am able to answer these questions that you, had a, that you asked, it's one, because I have been able to accumulate resources and tools that are all about the Bible. Um, Not a lot of you have done that. You might have things that are according to your hobbies or your work. I mean, some of you have stethoscopes at home. Some of you have a lathe in your garage. I have neither of those things. This just happens to be my wheelhouse, and I have resources uh, that I can turn to. So I have more um, resources in my library that I can turn to, more smart people to to tap into. Um, The second reason why I think I might have answers is because I'm able to devote a lot more of my time to this than most people. That's just what I get to spend my nine to five on. Um, You might not have the luxury of doing that, and I understand that. So I do not want to give the impression in any way, shape, or form that I am smarter than anyone, more spiritual than anyone. I am definitely not the smartest person in the room, and I know I'm not the most spiritual person in the room. So uh, I don't get to wear those titles just because I get to answer some questions. Now, my original goal with this series was to just kind of take question by question and just kind of knock them off as we go. But as I went through this, I was surprised to see how varied the questions were. They were on topics all over the place. And there was only one real topic that kind of emerged uh, of any of the questions. Only one topic that had more than two questions asked about it. And what was weird about this particular topic was everybody asked the same question. Everybody who tapped in and wanted to know about this topic, asked the exact same question. They were worded differently, but they were all variations of the same topic. And it didn't surprise me because anytime I've ever done kind of a question-answer type thing, this is always the number one topic that people ask about. Anybody have a guess? Huh? Close. Heaven is close, but a little bit more general, which was death. Death. Yeah, how do we get there? That was really pretty close. How do we get there? 
Is there a taxi? Is there like, I don't know, what, how, do we get, how do we get to heaven? Is there like public heavenly transportation? We all got to get on the bus? I don't know how that works. But, but basically, everybody was asking questions about death. And so, <clears throat> since it was like the major topic that arose, I thought, I'm just going to kind of camp out. Because the question that got asked over and over about death isn't entirely simple to answer. It's actually one of those that maybe it's this. Maybe it's this, and we kind of got to wade through some stuff to answer it. And so, as we kind of get into this thing about death, again, I'm not surprised that people want to know about it, because it is on the short list of things that all humans have in common. We all eat, we all breathe, we all go to the bathroom, and we all die. But everything else, almost everything else is up for grabs, right? I mean, really. I mean, it, we, there is such a varied experience across the human people, and death is one of those things that we all see in the future. We all know it's, that, that, that it's something we are going to have to endure and go through, and so we're curious about it. And the other thing about death that makes us curious is that it's largely unknown to us, and that makes us fearful, it makes us curious, it makes us anxious, and so we're just going to talk about it a little bit. So I wasn't surprised that it came to the top of the list. I was surprised by the question that, again, got asked over and over again. Here it is. What happens immediately after we die? Again, if you were asked the question, it was about this. This was the question. It might have been worded differently, so I kind of like congealed all of those into this uh, statement. But what happens immediately after we die? And to answer that question, we got to kind of say, well, what is death? Because we kind of know what death is. We know what physical death is, but we got to add a little bit more to that. Physical death is the separation of your spiritual self from your physical body. It's the separation of your spirit from your body. The unseen part of you, the part that I think really makes you, you, it's the separation of that part from this physical thing that we get to walk around in day in and day out. Um, Jesus' half-brother James made it very clear when he said this in James 2, 26. Now, when Christians usually read this, they're usually focusing on the second half of the verse, and we kind of miss this first half sometimes. He says, For as the body apart from the spirit, is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So we usually camp out and talk about what faith and what works means, but in the very beginning of that, he's saying when your body and your spirit separate, that's what it really means to have a physical death. And in, in John chapter 19, verse 30, when the apostle John is describing Jesus' final moments on the cross, here's what he says. He says, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. He bowed his head and gave up his spirit, that his body hung on the cross, but his spirit went elsewhere. And so when the body and spirit separates, that is death. And this question isn't asking about the body, right? Because when the body and spirit separate, when we go through physical death, we know what happens to the body. I mean, there's only a few potential explanations. I mean, we bury it, uh, you can cremate it, you can donate your body to science, which I believe my sister-in-law is definitely going to do. But then uh, the other weird option that's pretty rare, but you can put sunglasses on it, and you can dress it up and walk it around and try to convince people that the body's still alive, a la Weekend at Bernie's. I thought that was funny, I'm sorry. Um, I'll move on so we don't get too distracted. <coughs> But the question then is, what are we going to do? What happens to our spirit then after that, okay? Because we know that we don't go to heaven or hell right away. And I'll tell you why we know that, in, or at least right away from how we perceive it. In John chapter 5, <clears throat> we read this. 
And he has given him, God the Father has given him, Jesus, authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. And so he's saying that there will come a day when Jesus comes back again, the second coming of Jesus, and all of the dead will be resurrected. And at that point, then we will go to our final destination of what we call heaven, eternal joy, or eternal punishment, what we call hell. And so uh, when we come back to life, the, the other question that often pops up, nobody asked it this time, is, well, what happens? How's he, how does he resurrect you into a body like, what if you've been cremated? Or what if you died like 2,000 years ago and there's nothing but like dust and minerals left? Well, we know a little bit about the fact that God is going to give Christians new bodies, okay? And we learn a little bit about that from Philippians chapter 3, uh, verses 20 and 21. It's not super clear, right? So he says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior. So when Jesus comes again, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies, this earthly thing that we're in now, to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. So Jesus is going to take this, whatever I'm in now, and he's going to give me something better. Now, what is that glorious body? I don't know. Is it going to have six-pack abs? Am I going to like be able to run for miles and never get tired? Am I going to be able to eat whatever I want and never have anything added? Show it back here. Am I going to be able to never have to take insulin? Am I never going to have to take medications again? Am I going to have long flowing hair? I don't know. We can dream, right? I don't know what they're going to be like. Again, there's a gap between what the Bible tells us and, and what it gives us. It gives us enough to know we're going to get something better, but better how? We don't exactly no. Now, the Bible does not say anything about what types of bodies non-Christians will get. That topic is totally absent from what we know. But we know that after his second coming, there will be a resurrection of all who have died, and we will receive our uh, new body, and we will uh, go to our final state. So the question again, though, is, but what happens right after we die? Jesus didn't come back yet. What if I died today and Jesus doesn't come back for another 100, 200 years? How, how do I, what happens to me immediately after, my di after I die? What happens to my spirit? What happens to my, my soul, that invisible part of me? Do I go to some like heavenly waiting room and I sit around reading outdated magazines while elevator music plays and just like... I mean, what is, like, what happens? I'm, like, we're kind of curious about that and I understand why? And so um, we're going to try to answer this question because there's a lot of different thoughts, a lot of different ideas. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you two classic interpretations and then a weird one of my own. Okay, so I'm going to, and I, and I say my own, I am, I'm sure that when we get to this third thing, I am not the first person to say this or think of this, I just couldn't find anybody else, so I'm not going to claim originality because I know I'm not smart enough to have original ideas, so let's just not go to that. Um, so the first answer that people commonly, uh, that a lot of people have thought um, throughout Christian history is this, is, um, oh, there's a question again, um, is soul sleep is that once we die, once the spirit and body separate, our soul just kind of becomes unconscious. And, it, and until Jesus comes back and gives us a new body, our soul is just kind of unaware of where it is, what's going to happen. And so what comes immediately after we die doesn't really matter because we're asleep. And the primary place people get this idea from Scripture is the fact that 
dozens of times in the Old Testament and the New Testament, when it says people died, it says, well, they went to sleep. And it puts it that way. And so there's, I mean, like I said, it's all over the Bible. Here's two examples, one Old and one New Testament. Then David slept with his fathers, and he was buried in the city of David. Now, we know he didn't really go to sleep. I mean, because you don't bury sleeping bodies unless you're in the mob, I guess, or something. Um, So we know he was probably dead. Like, he really died, and they called it sleep. Um, in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 7, verse 60, the deacon of the, one of the first deacons of the church, Stephen, was getting stoned to death by a bunch of people who um, did not believe in Jesus. And he says, And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. But he didn't fall asleep, he died. Now, most of the time nowadays, People see this as just an expression. He went to sleep. It's kind of a nice way to reference a very difficult thing. Death is uns- uh, disconcerting, and it's, it's not something we like to talk about, and so this is kind of a nice way to say something, rather than them trying to describe exactly what happens after death. None of these passion, or passages are there to describe what happens after death. They're just describing that somebody died. So not, this one isn't super common anymore. So soul sleep, you don't find a lot of people on board with it. The most common answer you find across the board is that there is some sort of intermediate state. There are some sort of intermediate states that we go to. There are, not a waiting room, hopefully, but but there is some sort of in-between, kind of a pre-heaven or a pre-hell, if you will, that we will go to until we have a body and we get to that final place. Now, uh, here's the two intermediate states. Non-Christians, it says, kind of go to Hades, or at least that's the idea that people often come across. Non-Christians go to Hades. That is referenced numerous times throughout Scripture. The word Hades shows up a lot. And that Christians go to paradise, if uh, that is the uh, Protestant idea or doctrine, or purgatory, that's the Catholic doctrine. Um, so let's go back to non-Christians go to Hades. Uh, Hades is... Again, it's one of those things that we don't get described for us except in vague ideas that it's unpleasant. It's unpleasant, it's painful, and it's unrelenting is the other idea that we get. It is not a a great place to be, but one thing that is, uh, when Hades is referenced, is that you get tossed into the idea um, that when you are there, you know that you missed out on the salvation of Christ. And so it's also a place of despair and hopelessness because there's no turning back. And so we get that described for us. But again, there's not a lot of detail given. Now, Christians, we go to, it says we go to paradise or purgatory. Uh, let's go with the Catholic doctrine of purgatory first, and then we'll get to the Protestant teaching of paradise. Um, purgatory is always a place that Christians go according to Catholic teaching. Um, some people think purgatory is just a general in-between place, and you either hang out there forever or maybe eventually you get to go to heaven. But that's not how it works. It is always a step towards heaven. That is how it is taught. And um, it is basically, um, according to Catholic teaching, and maybe I'm way off. I've never been a practicing Catholic, so I could be horribly off here. But the idea is in Catholicism that Jesus' death on the cross pays for all your sins from the moment you become a Christian for or from the moment you become a Christian, backwards in time. So everything up to the moment that you become a Christian. After that, it is your responsibility to take your sin and your guilt to the priest, confess it, and do some sort of penance or make some sort of uh, payment or, or restitution for the sins that you have created. And so you, in a sense, kind of try to balance the scales yourself as you go on. But what happens when you die and you haven't 
confessed sin, you have unrepented sin or unpaid for sin, that's when you go to purgatory. And purgatory is not a good place. It is a place of some level of suffering where you pay for your leftover sins until you paid all those clear and then you get to progress on to heaven. That is the Catholic doctrine of purgatory. Now, where does it talk about purgatory in the Bible? It doesn't, as far as I can tell, depending on your point of view. That's where this gets fun. Do you see? Um, the, the place where Catholics get the, this ver- or the idea of purgatory from, the main verse, is from a book called Second Maccabees. Second Maccabees. Now, Second Maccabees is not in um, most Protestant Bibles. You can buy them. It's in a, a collection of writings called the Apocrypha. Um, they are kind of they were they were books that were written as Jewish history between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And in Catholic Catholicism, those are included in their scriptures. They consider those a part of the Bible. We do not. I could get into why not another time, but we'd be here all day if I started chasing all the rabbit trails. So the main place they get that is not from a book that we consider scripture. And then once they have that idea of purgatory from Maccabees, then they can take a couple other verses throughout the Bible and pick and choose that kind of put together their full theology of of purgatory. Now, so purgatory is not something that we ascribe to as Protestants, excuse me, But paradise is typically the word used to describe the pre-heavenly state for Protestants. And the main difference between purgatory and paradise is that as Protestants, we believe that Jesus' death on the cross was a complete payment for all human sin, past, present, and future. That Jesus took all of my sin and all of your sin on the cross, and when we accept Jesus as our Savior, then all of our sin record is wiped away, and so we do not die with leftover sin on us. And so we go to a place called paradise, which is a nice place, but it's not heaven. So, And the main idea, the name at least, where we get from paradise is when Jesus is on the cross, he's hanging with two criminals, two thieves. And one of the thieves looks over and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And so people say, well, there must go someplace immediately, someplace nice. And if you go to be with Jesus, you get to be in paradise. So those are two possible explanations, soul sleep or some sort of intermediate state. Now, let me give you my weird one. And I'm just going <laughs> to, this is so dumb that I even did this, by the way. But here's what I'm going to call it. The third one is something indescribable. So let me describe for you something indescribable. Like I, as I was putting this down, I was like, this is so difficult. Last night when I was writing this out, I would type one sentence. I was like, Abby, how's this? She's like, no, okay. And how's this one? She's like, okay, that's better. Okay, next sentence. Da-da-da-da. Abby, how's this? Uh, okay, let me and I, start, and I mean, the whole part of this, I was struggling to try to explain what I was thinking about this, okay? So if you don't follow along, that's okay. Just say, man, our minister's weird, and just move along and, get, and take it back a step and th- believe in the intermediate states. I, that's fine with me. Um, but basically, <clears throat> when you look at the world that we live in and the universe that we live in, we know a couple things. We know that space, you know, all the stuff that we're moving around in, and time are intimately connected, okay? In fact, physicists and mathematicians mostly will use one word. They'll just call it space-time because... Apparently, that's very clever to just take those and shove them together. And they think they combine the three dimensions of space that we live in, front and back, left, right, up, down, that kind of stuff, and the one dimension of time, which is just forward and backward. They see those as one 
thing, one four-dimensional thing, which is four dimensions is not something our brains get, but we know that physics tells us that space and time are intimately connected. So I was just watching a video, a couple videos on this not too long ago, and it got me thinking, what if when our physical body dies, we are no longer connected to this physical universe, which means we no longer experience time? Right? And that's where the undescribable stuff comes in because it's like, what would it be like to not be in time? I have no idea. Would it feel like eternity? Would it feel like a moment? I don't know. But what if in that moment when we die, for some period or however you want to describe it, there is a moment when we are a disembodied spirit. We have no bodies at this point, And we are in some sort of non-time place. And see, I worked really hard. I'm making this clear. See how I'm doing? And, and if that seems weird, then that's okay, because maybe I'm way, way off. I'm not an Einstein. I'm not a physicist, so I don't know. But my main idea is what that does, if we move to a place where there's not time, then this question of waiting, where do we wait, doesn't even matter, because waiting is a time word. Waiting is only something you do when you have a certain amount of time to get from point A to point B. But when time's not a thing, what happens to us? I know at some point Jesus is going to resurrect us and give us a body again, but what about that weird in-between state? And again, if that confuses you, by golly, it confuses me too. And you don't have to remember it. It's not going to be on the test. Um, and so that's, but it was just my weird idea that I've just been thinking about. But mainly, I want you to see here, by giving you that confusion, I had a point. <coughs> Sometimes we as human beings have this desire to take God and squeeze him into a nice little framework that we can understand. And I don't think God squeezes into our tiny little frameworks. I don't think I can comprehend, not only can I not comprehend God, but I can't comprehend all the things that he is doing with my tiny, itty-bitty speck of a human brain. He is so much bigger and more infinite than all of our brains put together can hold. And sometimes I think it makes us feel good to come up with a theology or some sort of a, a doctrinal statement that kind of makes sense of a lot of these puzzle pieces that are floating around Scripture. But we've got to admit, there's a lot of pieces missing. And for the most part, we can guess and we can speculate. But in a large way, we just kind of kind of say, I don't get the whole picture, but I know that God's got it figured out and He's going to take care of me. And we cling to the pieces that we do know. And the main piece that we know as believers is that there is salvation in no other name than Jesus. And that heaven is talked about over and over and over. Eternal salvation away from suffering and sin and pain is talked about over and over and over again. And all roads point to Christ and what he did for us on the cross. That he paid for our sins so that we would not suffer for it. And that is such a, that, that is so good that, that we don't even understand how good that is. That is the ultimate get out of jail free card. And we are so blessed by the work of Christ on the cross to free us from that. So that he could lay out the red carpet so that we could have a way to have salvation in heaven. And so if you're going to wonder about death, it's okay to wonder about death. If you have a lot of questions, it's okay to have questions. But one thing we do not have to have as Christians is fear. We do not have to have fear because in Christ, we can have salvation. We can trust in him for that. Now, I understand, me telling you you don't have to be fearful of death, <clears throat> you didn't just go, whoo, well that just takes a load off my mind, Anthony. Thanks a bunch. You know, back when I was in college, I would think about death a lot when I was in classes and we had to go through all these different th theology tests and things. And 
And I remember being like, I'm not scared of death at all. I wasn't scared of it even a little bit. And I thought, man, I must be super spiritual or something because everybody else seems scared to death and I'm not. And you know what, what happened then? Then I got a family. And then I got things to worry about. And then I grew up and got a life and, and I had things worth losing. And now the things I worry about, I don't necessarily worry about what's on the other side. I worry about what happens on this side if I go. I want to take care of my family and make sure, what happens to my boys if I'm not here? What happens to my wife if I'm not here? Because I sure in the world don't want her ever dating anyone ever again, right? That's, <laughs> she's mine. Nobody else, I don't share well, right? Sorry. It's not my problem. I'm going to be in heaven, so that's up to you. You can, sorry. Uh, I'm I hope I don't hear about that later. Anyway, so, but now I fear about those things, but most of my fears are stuck on things of, on this side, on what's happening in this life, and most of our fears are about this, and, and even on the questions we don't know and this, the world that we do know, the answer is both to trust them into God's hands. He will ha- answer and handle those things better than we ever could. He's loved your family before you even knew that they were your family. He's loved you before you even had the thought that you were a human being and knew to breathe. God has loved everything and put everything into place. He knows all the parts and all the moving pieces, and he is balancing it according to his great and perfect will. But if there is any question you have, I really do firmly believe when it comes to this topic of death, the answer is found in no one else but Christ Jesus. So let's pray together. Father, we are grateful to come and talk about scary stuff like death and and sometimes even to make light of it a little bit. And sometimes we laugh so the fear doesn't overwhelm us. But another thing that we can do so the fear doesn't overwhelm us is we can look to your word and the promises you have in there. They're not total, complete plans in Scripture, but you give us enough information to trust you. You give us enough information to know that what comes after this life is better than what we're going through now. We have enough information to trust that through Christ, we have a complete freedom from our sins so that we can have salvation in heaven forever. And so, Father, I pray that our hope would be in heaven. I pray that we would not be too focused on this world, too stuck in this world, but we would see that you made us for forever. You made us for eternity. You made us to be with you in a world without suffering and death and sinful temptations that we struggle with. You made us to be free of those with you forever. So may our focus, when it comes to this topic of death, be on the right things, which is you, which is your son, which is eternity with you, and not on the wrong things, all the fears that that are accumulated with all the unknowns that associate with death. So thank you again for being a God so big that you even take care of the biggest unknown in our lives, what happens after we stop breathing. You're so good, and you're so great. May we trust in you, not only with our life, but also with our death. We pray all this in Jesus' good and holy name. Amen.